0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio.
1: Are going to talk about the bereaved marriage, and I have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Mel er- Erickson, and Mel is a registered counselor, a certified menoptologist, co founder, and program director of Griefworks, a bereavement resource for education and support in Auburn, Washington. At age uh, 15, Mel's son, Don Paul, died after a 22 month battle with a brain tumor, and seven years later, her son David survived leukemia, thank goodness. And uh, Mel and her husband recently celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary. Welcome to the show, Mel.
2: Thank you very much.
1: It's great having you on. And where are you?
2: In Tacoma, Washington.
1: In Tacoma, Washington. Can you tell us a little bit about your program, our audience? Griefworks, right, in Tacoma? Yes.
2: We um, serve anyone who is grieving the death of someone important to them. We offer education and support understanding of the grieving process, and then companionship in walking through that process through support groups, um, individual, and public forums.
1: That's great. And uh, you produce uh, publications at all, or is it strictly?
2: We do have a quarterly newsletter.
1: Mm-hmm. Would you like to give us the, your email site for people or your website? Sure.
2: Our website is www.griefworks.org.
1: That's great. Okay, so if you uh, have any um, thing that you want to email uh, or look at the webpage, can you pick up the email from there? Yes, you can. Great.
2: Yes, you can, and you can email me Mel at GriefWorks. Great.
1: Well, that's a nice offer. Okay, Mel. So uh, we're talking about the brief marriage today. C- could we uh, talk a little bit about you had this loss years ago in your life, yes. and the loss of a child, and could you talk a little bit about how you see things going with uh, with marriages? in your own experience and with your clients?
2: Well, my observation, Gloria, is that grief is an incredible stressor on even a good relationship. I call it teeter-totter grieving. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it's very difficult, I think, in a relationship to coordinate your down times or your struggle times. Mm -hmm. And at a time when...
1: The idea of when you're up, they're down, and when you're exactly. down, they're up. I like the teeter-totter idea because exactly. I have sure found that true.
2: And it's, it's um, kind of a built-in guilt factor there because if you're up, you feel guilty if your partner's down. And if you're down, you feel guilty for raining on the parade of your partner who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh,
1: I remember working so hard to be up and just being so annoyed if Phil was down because I was, you know, it was taking everything I had mm-hmm. to be up. And then if you have somebody cheery around when you are mm-hmm. really in the blues, you're like, oh, this isn't okay.
2: It isn't. I didn't even approve of the sun shining.
1: It's right.
2: disrespectful for the sun to come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you no, know, that's yeah. grief. Grief is crazy.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh,. I, I think that one of the things that Darcy Sims and I were talking about is that you kind of walk separate paths for the first couple of years or maybe even year. Or is, Has that been your experience with families Indeed. where the husband and wife are kind of in their own zone?
2: Indeed, and I think that might be the key to healthy healing through the grieving process for married couples, and that is an incredible amount of tolerance for each other's style of grieving giving each other lots of space to do what they need to do with the goal that you will be back. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the same person, probably never the same person, but our mindset is we're each working on it and our goal is that our marriage is under reconstruction and we're going to be better than ever.
1: Mm -hmm. When do you think people are able to get their handle around that, though? reconstruction and better than ever. That sounds like... um, An
2: impossible dream. Well, uh, for the
1: first year, I think you're in such shock that even thinking of those words sound complicated.
2: Yes. Yes. The first year is survival mode, isn't it? Mm. Just putting one foot... Just staying clean and dressed. Right. Having food on the table is like major...
0: Yeah,
1: for the... You know, depending on what you do, going to work, if you're a stay-at-home mom... Getting food on the table, uh, if you're, you know, the traditional working dad and stay at home mom for the man to get out to work and for the woman to, Mm -hmm. you know, to make the meals. And then if you're doing multitasking, which many of our audience are, and, and I was, you're, you're going to work and trying to think about the kids and trying to think about meals and, you know, you're just.
2: Well, it leaves you so very depleted and tired. Um, you're going through the motions of living. And holding yourself together to do all of the things that are expected of you, leave you totally depleted.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you have two depleted people, uh, and needy children in the house, as well as a needy partner, whoa, right? It's a recipe for trouble, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it can, I think uh, as a therapist, and and for also either women or men who who are the one in the family in the couple where the other one. Uh, likes to talk a lot or um you know has a um, uh, uh, is kind of the nurturing that's what the word i want mm-hmm. the, the uh, if you're in a little more nurturing position, it can be really stressful to have the other person uh, counting on you a lot. Pat Loder talked about that a little bit, how she counted on Wayne so much and and he said to her one day, which I thought was so wonderful Pat's the executive director of compassionate friends, mm-hmm. and uh, h- her husband said to her. How can I send you um, a, a life raft when I'm drowning?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Eloquently put. Yeah. This morning when my husband left the house and I told him what I was doing, he said, so you're going to talk about amputated families?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow, Dave.
1: <laughs> yeah, now what would you make of that? Years later. Amputated families, what would you make of that?
2: Well, when our son died, Dave said, Dave's first words were, I feel like an amputee. Ah. A part of him was gone, was cut off.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so clearly he's applying the metaphor to the whole family. A part of us was cut off, Mm -hmm. gone. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it feels, um, that's pretty much how it feels, isn't it? part of you is cut away, gone.
1: Yeah, well, certainly the life you knew that you thought you were going to live has changed. Absolutely. Yeah, and the marriage you thought you had.
2: Well, the yeah. dynamics change when mm-hmm. there's an empty chair.
1: Absolutely. The so relationships. C- could you talk a little bit about um, what your thoughts about divorce? Do you see your couples as, as at risk for divorce, separation, affairs, all that kind of thing
2: that's after a, a, a the death of a child? I've seen both in my work, and this is just so simple it sounds silly, but... The people whose marriages are fragile before the death of a child are at risk for complicated grief, and their marriages are certainly at greater risk Uh because uh, the underlying assumptions aren't there. The underlying commitment is already fragile. And um, for those people, um, they truly need to seek professional counseling I I firmly believe that a couple who chooses to work through it can work through it. And I also...
1: What, What do you think through it
0: is?
2: Well, my definition of healing, if we think of grief as a wound, using that metaphor, my definition of healing is we come to the place someday where we aren't experiencing the anguish and the overwhelming, intense, intrusive pain. And we have energy to invest in living and loving again. We can even find purpose and meaning in life. And that is on um, a transition, a a scale that continues, I think, till the end of our life on this earth. Mm
0: -hmm. But the
2: quality of grief changes to the point where we realize we're living again and our entire life isn't dominated by the pain of the loss of our child.
1: So are you thinking for the couple the first year, the domination of pain is difficult?
2: It certainly can be.
1: Yeah.
2: It certainly can be, and and I think what is difficult is we have two needy people who probably have very different styles of coping, who do not have the energy after meeting the expectations of daily life, to be very fully present for each other.
1: Mm, that's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, there's no possibility of being fully present that no. at first, or maybe even second year.
2: No, and so I think it's very essential to have healthy chicken soup, chicken soup friend, or even a professional relationship to do the hard and painful work of grief, quote, on your own time, unquote
1: hmm where a person can have it on there. I think one of the risks that um, we can run, or some of the couples that I've seen can run, is finding a friend um, who you start confiding in who may be um, of the other sex and uh, and having them become your support person and, and moving your energy in that direction.
2: Well, a good rule is to have a friend of the same sex.
1: Mm-hmm. And also going to something like Compassionate Friends, a group, or doing yeah. groups, or... Uh, uh, GriefWorks, going to some place like your um, organization as a couple, even though you don't connect. I mean, you can go and um, you're just going, and, and maybe you're not talking about it or anything. can also be a way. And then having one person in the couple go to a safe place like uh, Compassionate Friends or GriefWorks or something like that where they can just be with a group for that reason rather than having a one-to-one.
2: Our friends don't always understand and we can wear our friends out. And, of course, our fear is that they won't want to come play with us anymore if we're sad and mad all the time. And um, I am surprised at Compassionate Friends how few couples there are. There are more half-couples at Compassionate Friends, at least the meetings I've been to through the years, mm-hmm. than there are couples. I clearly remember my husband saying to me when I was going off to Compassionate Friends meeting three years after our son's death, he said to me, why do you want to waller in it? And my response was, I need to.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It helps me. I feel better. Ten years later, when I was speaking to a group about the bereaved marriage, I looked at the back of the room, and my husband had tears rolling down his cheeks. So he was still carrying a lot of his pain. Mm-hmm. So was, We could still tap into it.
1: Right, right. So, so yeah. So, I I think there's a good message here. You you've been married for how many years?
2: Forty-one.
1: Yeah, and I've been married for forty-five. And I did some grieving, you know, with um, a therapist, uh, going to Compassionate Friends alone. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband did it differently, and uh, and we were able to come come together. And it, it, you know, what was for me wasn't for him, and vice versa. Exactly. So that's important to realize, and and I'm much more was much more public. It sounds like you are too, and he's much more private. And it can yeah. be the other way where you have a wife that is very private. It can be. Uh, we've had people on the show talk about that, and where the husband wants to be more public.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and you know, uh, we have to figure out how to do the seesaw. However, um, talk a little bit about how to get your seesaw even. Uh, it seems to me. If you're gonna, if you're going to uh, keep your marriage together, or if you do have to have some contact, you know, some connection,
2: um,
1: maybe a date night occasionally, or you know,
2: I encourage people, uh, couples, to establish some ground rules. um, That you know, we have minimum energy, but here are our priorities, and. First of all, one of our ground rule assumption is that we're on leave of absence from our normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, for we don't know how long, but we know we're working to get back to create a new normal. Therese Randall calls it marriage under reconstruction. And so that's the first assumption. The second ground rule, I think, is um, I learned it from the Schaffers or the Schatzes, Bill mm-hmm. and Barbara Schatz, years ago. The, a bereaved marriage, they propose that you have unlimited take-backs because grief-vomit happens. You know, Our grief lashes out. We shoot from the lips with our U-gun at each other. Mm-hmm. You never, you don't, you can't, you always, you won't, you should, you ought to, you know, the U-gun thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, it has and the
1: grief-vomit, called both.
2: That is grief-vomit. Yeah, yeah,
1: the U-gun. Okay, good.
2: So yeah. one of our ground rules is when it happens, the recipient gets to say, ouch. And then the, the shooter, the ball's in the shooter's court. The shooter can choose to say, I'm sorry, or, you know, may I take that back with grief from it. hmm And that goes for the kids, too. I know that the nurturing person in the family is often the target for the U-gun mm-hmm. because the unconditional love is assumed. Right that unconditional loving target can become more and more depressed from being the target <laughs> right. every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an important ground rule. And another ground rule that I think is so important, particularly when there's children, you know, other children surviving, is that we hate this reality. It hurts. We're all a mess. But we're in this together, and we're here for, more, for one another. And eventually we're going to work through this.
1: Mm-hmm. So the belief that it's going to work out.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and
1: that's that hope. And, and that's yeah. really a lot of what this show's about, is saying, you're going to make it. Yes. Yeah. You know, you've, we've made it, you're going to make it. You, can't, you can do it.
0: It's
2: hard, it's awful, we hate it. Right. But we're going to do what we need to do and be fully present for each other to get through this. Yeah. And that's so reassuring to children who truly are afraid of divorce you know, another loss.
1: One I'm sure the- they're afraid of the grief vomit between their parents that they haven't seen before or the, the silence by one or the rejecting. It can't, uh, you know, it's got to be very uh, nerve-wracking for them to see that happening.
2: That's right. And one of the questions of grief is, who else am I going to lose?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that's there for, for each of us. And we want to reassure children over and over that there isn't anything we can't
0: talk about. Mm-hmm.
1: And the best way to do that is working on your relationship with your spouse because we know from yes. from all the marriage work that's been done, um, the stabilization in the family begins with the couple.
2: Yes. The children heal in direct proportion to how their caregivers are healing. Mm-hmm.
1: So now what would you suggest, um, what do you suggest for people to give them hope in their marriage and uh, to... Um, you know, even though they're hating this, the the feeling their marriage is under reconstruction. It's not the marriage they thought they had. Uh, it's going to be different. Both Mel and I have been through the death of a child and and uh, been through that that year and maybe two, where you're moving in different directions than your spouse. And uh, we wanted to give you a few tips today on maybe how uh, some ideas on how you can. Um, how we and how you might be able to connect with your spouse a bit more. One of the things that I mentioned earlier was maybe doing a date night or um, something like that. Mel, do you have any uh, thoughts on this?
2: Well, I like to encourage people to make a date for verbal intercourse Mm -hmm. where they're listening and truly trying to um, be fully present in hearing what each other is saying. And talk straight about sex.
0: What
1: are your needs? And, mm-hmm. um, now, sex is, is, is a tough issue. Our, uh, sure it is. Yeah, it, it's difficult because sometimes my listeners and people that I've counseled say that uh, one, one person is so depressed that they're not interested.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that's a problem. And it seems uh, like it's oftentimes women more than men so that I hear that that they're really not interested. Or you can have a husband, certainly, who's not interested. So um, that's something that you need to deal with. Maybe get some counseling if if it goes on and it's a problem. But I'll have to say that having sex early on is difficult because it is early on, it is um, um, a a kind of total forgetting or giving in and moving into a different space Mm -hmm. than you have not wanted to do because... You 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 just it means that you're going to forget your child or I mean it, it takes you into a whole different a different world a different space is that is that your thought about it now?
0: But
2: you feel guilty for feeling good. Yeah, right. But it also can feel good to feel good when it's, when feel good is hard to come by.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: so it can be a solace, you know, it can be a respite from the pain too. And
1: absolutely, and one one da- uh, physician I had on. Um, was talking about it and he said that um, for him as a male, um, if he did not have a wife who would at least put her arm around him or kiss him or sit by him or hold his hand, that he felt a tremendous uh, amount of rejection.
2: Yes. Yes. I think it's important to find creative ways to express our love if sexual intercourse is not part of what we're able to do in the moment. We need to talk about a plan B, and for most women, you know, the physical lovemaking is a, is an extension of conversation intimacy. So hopefully, we can create intimacy in other ways.
1: Mm-hmm. And and what would you suggest? I think that's great. It is a, uh, for women. It's certainly a gradual process of feeling cared for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking um, just like uh, this doctor was saying, having his wife uh, put his arm around her, his, mm-hmm. her arm around him. Or um, let him give her a kiss on the cheek, or we have different ways that we uh, turn away from people. And by the way, um, if uh, you're not ready to actually have sexual intercourse, you can still accept those um, those moves towards you. That's that's part of what happens. I think is that um, there gets to be some rejection feeling because a person doesn't want to move into the ultimate. Uh, act of having actually having sexual intercourse and, and make a deal that... Mel's got a dog barking. <laughs> Sorry
0: about that.
1: <laughs> That's okay. And make a deal with your spouse that you're not ready yet, but you will um, hold hands. You will have... And it doesn't have to move into anything else. I think that can make a huge difference.
2: Yes. Cuddling is legal. Right. And so is Band-Aid sex.
1: And Band-Aid sex would be? It's,
2: it's just a temporary... Sex, a temporary feel good.
1: Okay, so uh, now I don't exactly know what you mean by that. Actually, having sex and mm-hmm. and viewing it as temporary, and you may not want to do it.
0: Well, soon if,
1: again, or if what? It's,
2: if it's if it's planned and pre-meditated and negotiated, and let's say for the woman, her heart isn't fully in it, um, because her heart isn't fully anywhere, you know, except for in pain. Um She can agree to be cooperative and loving, knowing that this is a love gift that she has to give.
1: Oh, that's a lovely way to put it a love gift, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, so I think this is really Josh
2: McDowell yeah. says love is a verb
1: uh,
2: and i i liked I like that is love an active is a verb
1: yeah, it's an and active we, thing
2: Yes, we act loving, and eventually the feelings follow.
1: Uh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what we have to do. You know, they call it in those first few years, fake it till you make it.
2: Exactly. And
1: there we are. Act yep. loving and it will come. Yes. Yeah, exactly. even though you're maybe not feeling those feelings right now.
2: hmm Yeah. And you mentioned uh, setting a date, a, a coffee date or a talking date or, you know, a sit by the couch date. I think that's important. I think it's very easy because we each need so much space to process our grief. It's easy to feel that you've lost each other when, in fact, you know, you haven't. But yes. it feels that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important um, to realize that some people can't take long. You know, it's like if I give you the opportunity to talk, you'll never stop. Mm-hmm. So it, it, instead of that, I say, you know what? Let's spend 15 minutes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then let's go out and get an ice cream cone.
2: A measured dose.
1: A walk around the block.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, because, again, grief, vomit. Yep. You can't You can't. every time you sit down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, one of the things my husband used to do that absolutely drove me crazy, and I, and I just want to put this out and see if you have a thought about it, is that he is a numbers guy, <laughs> and I am not. And so he has all the numbers you know it was um he said to me, "You know it was two weeks uh in in three minutes it'll be two weeks since Scott was killed, wow, and I that just absolutely infuriated me
0: hmm.
1: so but but that was he was a numbers guy, he was thinking in numbers,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's now I realize thinker.
1: yeah that that that's that's how he was processing the information, or the other thing he would do is he always remembers every date. I remember barely remember any dates, especially around the death. One of the ways that I cope is, I guess, not remembering, not thinking about it. But he would remember, and then he would say, uh, for instance, "Did you know that um, yesterday was Scott's birthday?" Mm-hmm. So I finally said to him, and, you know, it's been 22 years, and I finally said to him, you know what, tell me the day before. Don't tell me when it's happened. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. because
1: it's like, like, I don't know why, if he didn't want me to feel sad, but why he did that. So there are different things that drive us a little crazy. Did your husband do anything that drove you a little crazy?
2: No, I would guess it's probably the other way around.
1: (laughs) And how did you do that?
2: Well, my faith is extremely important to me. And I think um, he—it's not important to him, and so he had to tolerate me uh, in in my pursuing my faith as comfort,
0: mm-hmm.
2: when uh, you know, it offered absolutely no comfort whatsoever to him.
1: Now, would that be talking not to would. would that be talking to a priest for you? Were you?
2: Um. Well, I I was in the Word, reading scripture, listening to music. Mostly when he wasn't home, that ministered to my, that soothed my soul, and attending church and Bible study.
1: Right. Days. So you had this group that you were going to, and and he yeah. was basically uh, not part of that group.
2: Right. Yeah. But he didn't uh, want to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and uh, it, it's so interesting the way the way that happens. How we do um, mm-hmm. different things. And did he lose himself in work?
2: Um, I don't. No, if I would say he lost himself in work, he chopped wood. And Mm -hmm. he read a book um, that was written by Terry Pringle, whose six-year-old had died of leukemia. And Dave and Terry Pringle began a correspondence. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of his grief work in letters Ah. uh, with this other man whose child had died.
1: Now that is so wonderful because I think one of the things that can really give them support is if they can find another man who they can connect with.
2: And they can find uh, safe support online these days. I think that is totally cool.
1: Absolutely. There are
2: chat rooms where dads can talk. Yeah.
1: So um, do you uh, you know uh, what the chat rooms would be for that? I don't know if Compassionate Friends um, has a chat room for that. I'm not sure.
2: I'm sorry I don't have that information as uh, at the office on my desk. Okay.
1: Well, if you want to know about that information, you can uh, email.
2: Yes, please do. Email you. Give we us your email to, again. We give you several uh, ideas. Mel at griefworks dot org.
1: Great. Yeah, I think uh, you know. Uh, I we don't. I don't like to be saying males do this and females do that. But one of the things that uh, we see a lot is that males do like to do things, you know. They want to be active. They want to chop wood,
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, wash cars, go to work, you know, um, that they're kind of doing.
2: Literally work out their pain.
1: Yeah, and and working working it out rather than talking about it so much.
0: Right. So
1: having somebody, another male that you can talk to is really a wonderful thing. It and is. as a couple, if you can get support and figure out how to support yourself, then you can come together with a little strength too rather than mm-hmm. um, doing the grief-vomit thing or being so needy uh, with your partner.
2: You know, you mentioned going to get an ice cream cone, and I want to underline that because I think it's important to budget fund.
1: I like that budget fun.
2: Yeah. Literally mm-hmm. budget fun.
1: So it, it
2: seems very contrived but it's important to to our total well-being.
1: Right. And some of that uh budgeting fun like going for a walk around the block. My in-laws used to take a walk around the block every night and it was a wonderful thing.
0: Mhm.
1: You know, they got a little the exercise they time. walked. And when you take that walk around the block, folks, you can set a little guideline that maybe you talk and maybe you don't talk, or maybe you take uh, that walk as your break uh, from your child's death Mm -hmm. where you talk about something else.
2: I love walking together because when you walk together, you're in sync. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You're
2: you're matching your rhythm, your pace. And so symbolically, there's unity. Right. That's really important.
1: And you're getting that marriage under reconstruction. Exactly. With movement together. Exactly. And you might want to think about even holding hands, if that's okay. Absolutely. Or not.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can decide. You know, you can. it'll be interesting to see if you're walking together, if you do hold hands or not, you know, where you are in, in space at this time.
2: You said you can decide. And, Gloria, I think the choices we make are so very important. Because every day, every hour, even every moment, we're making choices that can move us forward in our healing process. Well,
1: I wanted to ask you, is there anything you feel like that we've missed or any areas that you'd like to cover?
2: I would like to point out, um, Gloria, that grieving with words and grieving by working out our grief are two different styles of grieving. Kendoka has called them instrumental grieving and intuitive grieving. And they're not necessarily male-female. So I just want women to know that they might have to grieve by doing. That might be the way they literally work out their pain. And there may be men also who, as you said earlier, need to talk and need to feel and need to use words.
1: And I, need, I know during break you said that uh, you knew someone who, because they um, wanted to do and they were a woman, felt like they weren't grieving right.
2: Exactly, exactly. So that's why I wanted to mention it. Um, Yeah.
1: And we want to tell you all out there that there is not a wrong way to grieve. Yes, there is not. Um, You just have to kind of, what is it they say in the old uh, 60s, go with the flow or whatever. You really have to do go with your heart, and Mm -hmm. that is good. But sometimes you do need to get out with other people, go to professional groups, you know, it's it's difficult if you sit home and go with your heart, or just uh, lose yourself and work completely, can come back to kind of bite you later on. Yes. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit um, since we're talking about working with marriages, and you and I both have long term marriages. Can you talk a little bit about um, being comfortable for a couple to grieve clean and be comfortable with their child's absence? What would you What would that bring up for you?
2: Well, that's a process over time um, a long time actually and I think including your child who is physically not here in your in your household in your family in as many ways possible is important to all of you I think the message that we want to portray to our whole family to our surviving children and each other is that he or she may be gone but not forgotten so we still have a picture out we may have memorabilia on display uh, somewhere in the house we may have a scholarship fund going we may have a special plant or garden going Um, I was given an angel Christmas tree ornament the first Christmas that Donnie wasn't with us by a special friend and that was the beginning of my angel Christmas tree ornament collection uh, not that Donnie was an angel when he was on this earth because he was not, <laughs> but symbolically we're including him in our in our holidays because in my belief system he's dwelling with the angels now, uh-huh. so that's just the way we include him still twenty three years later in our in our holiday time.
1: Now, one of the things that um, is a little difficult, I know some people have put millions of pictures up of their kid all over the house, and Mm -hmm. and that maybe bothers another spouse. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: um, you need to to negotiate a little bit, too, about what's comfortable and and be patient. Uh, Early on you may do a shrine, but later on you may want to
0: move a little bit Change, uh, change it differently.
2: I have a friend whose son died 25 years ago. And she still puts an ad in the paper um, on the anniversary of his death with his picture. Ah, yes. Just the way she expresses her love for him, you know, for the whole world to know this boy was loved is still loved. And it's important that we find ways to do that. Uh, Ritual is a wonderful way to do that. Um, Having a bell on the mantle that anyone in the family can come ring as an i love you message.
1: Ah, that's a good idea. Send a
2: message and then everyone in the family knows someone's missing. You now, brother or sister or a battery candle on the mantle, same thing. When you're missing him, want to want your love for him to show? Just go light the battery candle, which is safe. Mhm.
1: Oh, no, that's a lovely idea, and uh, you know, planting rose bushes during a mm-hmm. holiday, or balloons, or you know, whatever uh, kinds of things that you can uh,
2: blowing love bubbles. Document. Right. That's a good thing to do with children.
1: Now, if you had one piece of advice you could give a bereaved couple, what would it be? And uh, say, and uh, let's let's kind of do a little separation. What if you had? What would your advice be the first year?
2: First year.
1: Tough year. We're in shock,
2: Mhm i th- I think the f- the most important thing is to recognize that that we're a mess for a season. Mhm. Yep. and together, we're going to work through it and give each other the space they need. Um, we can talk about how much we can distance from each other before it's too much. But we each need space to process our grief in our own way. I love you, even though I don't have energy to be as loving as I used to be. And I think that's the foundation for making it.
1: Uh huh. I like your idea that realizing our marriage is under reconstruction.
2: Mm hmm.
1: And we, you know, that's just the way it is. And you know what? Mess the construction site is early on. Indeed. And what great things come up from it? Indeed. Mm-hmm.
2: I have a sign in my office that says, "Every change is a mess in the middle."
1: <laughs> okay, no. So we're moving on. How about the second year for a couple?
2: Well, I believe those same ground rules apply. I think they're they're good ground rules for mm-hmm. ongoing, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. But, but then we might have a little more energy to maybe a
2: energy do
1: a little more activities together
2: to choose life. Mm-hmm,
1: choose Yes.
2: Life. And for many couples, Gloria, I'm sure you've seen, it's a matter of reconstructing your social life, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
2: friends withdraw for whatever reasons, and that would be a whole topic in itself. Absolutely.
1: And when you move on, it's kind of funny, five years later some of your friends come back.
2: Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And they were thinking about you, but they couldn't handle it. Didn't know what to say didn't know what to do, so they steered clear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you've developed new friends and new
2: mm-hmm. new
1: things going on. And
2: Compassionate Friends is a wonderful place for that to happen.
1: Right. Well, one of the sponsors of my show is um, the org, And one of the things that I wanted to say about it is that it's a great place that you can do a memorial website, but you can also do a celebration website for your uh, spouse, And I think it is a great idea on a birthday or whatever you can go to Library of Life and set up a celebration website for your marriage. Wonderful. And I just love that idea to do that. Lots of fun. And and you can put pictures on it and cost you $50 for it will be on the web the rest of their lives. And a a really fun thing to do. Yeah. Thank you you for that resource. So libraryoflife.org is where it is. So before I want to close this show, I just want to run over some of the things that we've talked about marriage. Um, Thanks to Mel Erickson. She's done a great job. And uh, she's director of uh, Grief Works in Auburn, Washington. And I want to thank her for being on the show. And I think some of the things we covered today, Mel, are the idea that you've got to have ground rules. You want to have some ground rules for your marriage. You're under reconstruction. You need to have patience. You need to budget fun. And you need to just know that you can make it. Your marriage can make it. Don't be afraid. You've lost enough. And just hang in there.
2: And love is a verb.
1: And love is a verb.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.